The 2019 Big 12 Media Days are in the books, and what have we learned? Well, not much. Now, we shouldn't be surprised there wasn't much to talk about on the OU side of things. Lincoln Riley's coach-speak game is similar to Bob Stoops, except on steroids. He's really mastered the art of speaking lots of words in English and having them amount to pretty much nothing. I mean, this is the same guy who told us for months that the future Heisman Trophy winner and number one overall pick in the NFL draft was in a neck-and-neck battle with Austin Kendall to be the starting quarterback last year, so excuse me if I tune out what the head ball coach says in media settings at this time of the year. Now, this is not to bag on Riley. The other participants at Media Days largely followed his lead. Sure, Les Miles is amusing sometimes, but he's currently heading the least relevant football program in the United States. Gary Patterson's a cool guy who says some interesting things, but even he couldn't provide any clarity on TCU's six-man quarterback battle. And spoiler alert, if you have six guys vying for the same position, they probably all suck. Mike Gundy was probably the most interesting interview of the week, taking sole responsibility for the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Oklahoma State last year, but of course he took responsibility for it. He's the head coach, so there weren't any surprises there. And Tom Herman did his usual Tom Herman things. Matt Wells, Neil Brown, and Chris Kleiman all answered variations of the same question all day. And I was gearing up to complain once again in this opening take that the college football season is, or college football offseason is long, boring, unfathomably boring at times. But I came to the realization that this year's version of Big 12 Media Days is a drag because of Oklahoma. We've taken a lot of the drama out of the league with their unprecedented dominance. No matter how you slice it, no team has ever won this conference four straight years until OU did it last December. And nothing has changed. OU is the prohibitive favorite to win their fifth straight title. And they should be. The other Big 12 coaches know it, the players know it, and every media member in that building knows it. That doesn't exactly suggest an exciting line of questioning for media days. So, I'm not going to complain about the lack of fireworks at the media days these past couple days. I will take it as an abstract symbol that OU's takeover of the conference is going swimmingly. After all, boring interviews with lots of words and no substance are no longer confined to the media room in Norman, Oklahoma. It's taken over the entire conference. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Hello, everybody. No intro today. We'll play a little bit of the music a little bit here, though. It makes it a little different, but uh, we're going to punt on the intro because it's been a long couple of days in Arlington for Big 12 Football Media Days. Welcome into the show. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with the opening take. So I'm actually sitting on Radio Row on uh, the on Jerry's World. And you know what? Let's just bring in Grant right now because this is going to be probably the most informal podcast we've ever had grant so far since we've been doing the show for almost coming up on what three years now no two years? it's two this will be our third season but it's been oh been yeah, two yeah. years two uh, yeah okay so bad math there but uh so yeah i'm uh i'm on uh i'm in the end zone in jerry's world on radio row uh just finished up all my assignments for news nine in oklahoma city Today, uh, it's Tuesday as we record this podcast, Tuesday evening around 5 o'clock. I have the, uh, the franchise radio station to my left. They're doing their, uh, their afternoon show from 3 to 6 with uh, Sam Mays and Colby Daniels. There, I'm sure they're saying a lot of interesting stuff. They're trying to make the most out of it. Because, Grant, as you mentioned in your opening take, media days this year, not a lot's going on. 
And I can I can confirm that after uh, being here for the last two days. Not a whole lot going on in Arlington. Um, let's see. If I had to say my the most interesting thing or most useful thing, you know what? Let's, let's throw it over to you. What do you think is the most useful or interesting thing you've learned in the last two days? On it, like nothing. And I know that's kind of punting, and but I, I didn't didn't learn anything and so you know you're there today I guess you know I I haven't I haven't followed it on the second day as much Um, but it looks like Sam Ellinger had a pretty big following although he said nothing of note and it sounds like Tom Herman did his usual Tom Herman things didn't really say anything of note Um, so really I, I I feel like yesterday the biggest takeaway was everyone thought that Mike Gundy had a pretty had a pretty entertaining press conference um, I watched the entire thing, and it was—I mean, it was fine. I—he—he I, he can he t- kind of talks a little more than others, but kind of the most noteworthy thing he said was was about how much you know how much responsibility he took for for Oklahoma State being kind of wishy-washy last season. But then in my head, I'm thinking, like, what else is he going to say? Is he going to say it's all the kids' fault and they suck? Like, <laughs> so yeah, he he did. That was clearly the message he wanted to relay to the fan base the Oklahoma State fan base is that yeah last year he kind of he felt like he kind of slipped a little bit he let little things go and the discipline lacked and therefore that's why you saw such wide performances uh, wide-ranging performances by Oklahoma State when they played so well against a team like Texas they played really well against Oklahoma obviously didn't win the game but then they had duds against uh, I mean Kansas State comes to mind and uh, TCU, I think they had a dud against and a down year against TCU or down year for TCU. So that was Gundy's message. I think the best line of the day, at least from Mike Gundy, and maybe of the entire first day of Big Twelve Media Days, whatever he deadpanned that Oklahoma has had average quarterback play the last couple of years, and they've had to kind of make up for that, and they've been able to or no, be able to overcome that, which I thought was pretty funny. Did you hear that? Yeah, I saw that. I mean, that was yeah, sure, that was a cute little line, I guess. Um, and then I, that just you shows know, you like the standard, though, because there's just nothing going on. I, I pull that, and it's like, oh, hey, it's something that's kind of, kind of interesting. And then, of course, the most notable thing that Lincoln Riley said was was he didn't know how you know inside the locker room they don't expect the offense to take a quote unquote dip. That was like the most notable thing he said. And and to that, I think I say, what I mean, what do you think he's gonna say? He's gonna he's gonna say, yeah, I mean, we're really gonna take a big step back this year on offense, like. <laughs> I mean, this is Lincoln Riley is like is Hall of Fame the goat of coach speak, as I alluded to in the in the opening take. He's really good at it already. Yeah, like that's all he does. I mean, the guy just strings together. I I bet he could write like a, I don't know, throw like what what's a lot of words for a for a paper? I don't know. Well, what we'll say he could he could write like a twenty page paper with that that is just eloquent and just paints like a portrait, but says absolutely nothing. That's how good he is at that stuff. So, so I, I will say, so that makes me think of, okay, so the big story, or one of the big stories nationally from Monday at Media Days, Grant, and I find this interesting because of what we do, what we do following Oklahoma. Obviously, we, we have our, uh, you know, we follow this team and, and we know what they're doing from almost a day-to-day basis. So let's say week-to-week at this point, considering it's the offseason. But point being, there was a, did you catch there was like a national story that Lincoln Riley said that Jalen Hurts had not won the quarterback job yet? And obviously, 
we all know here listening to this podcast that that's not official yet. Riley hasn't announced it, but the rest of the media nationally seems like they just kind of assumed it, which, you know, of course, why wouldn't they assume it? But I think it's interesting that that's kind of the one of the big stories I saw on ESPN. I saw SportsCenter hitting on it that, oh, Jalen Hurts still got to win the job. Did you find that kind of amusing that outside of the Oklahoma fan base and the Oklahoma media beat that the rest of the nation was probably like, oh, what? Jalen Hurts hasn't won the job yet? No, I don't find it amusing. I, f- I still find it. <laughs> I still find it really annoying. Um, and I, I, no, I, I get it. Like I'm, I'm a proponent of of kind of what he's trying to do here. He's he's trying to create the culture of of a competition for every single you know every single spot. But like I said in the opening take, um, last season after we saw how the season played out and how how spectacular of a player Kyler Murray actually was, it just made the whole. Murray versus Kendall thing last summer just in retrospect incredibly obnoxious there is no one that has functioning brain cells that should think that was actually a competition at any point in time I can certainly accept that there may have been some days where Austin Kendall had better results than Kyler Murray but if you think that that was an actual competition last summer you need to get your brain checked so I've evolved on this issue a little bit probably over the last 24 to 48 hours because now I look at it in through this lens. If you're Lincoln Riley, it's difficult, I think, considering what he's done in the past, to just come out and give a guy the starting position because that's just not his style. And for us, it's easy to just kind of roll our eyes and say, come on, we all know that Jalen Hurts is going to start. But we're also not the head coach, and we're not dealing with these players on a day-to-day basis, whereas Riley – he has that that mentality. He makes sure his team knows that there's always a competition, that everybody has a chance to earn a spot no matter who you are. And I think he has to keep that going. And I really generally, uh, genuinely think that, that he's steadfast in what he's saying. Yeah, in his head he probably knows Kurtz is going to win the job. But I think he, he likes to have this be the message because I think it – helps guys like Tanner Mordecai, even though he probably knows he's not going to win the job. You know, maybe he goes into August thinking, you know what, if I have a really good fall and I improved a lot over the summer, you know what, what if I do somehow win this job? Or obviously there's there's an injury, worst case scenario. But I think that's important because, you know, there's really no benefit to naming a starter because it's uh, Jalen Hurts is, is going to work hard, and I feel like he'll probably work even harder if he still thinks he has to win the job. No, I mean, I think, I think the – you know, the track that that Riley is using, I think it's perfectly dispen- or, uh, defensible from you know from his perspective. I'm just yes, saying, and that's and, my main point, yeah, which I it took sure. way too long probably to to, to explain it while you basically summed it up in yeah. ten seconds. In but this, go on, yeah. In this context, though, and especially now the last two seasons, I think the circumstances surrounding it just make it kind of obnoxious. Whereas last year, and and I think at the beginning of last, you know. Beginning of fall camp last year, I don't think anybody would have guessed that Kyler Murray was going to go on and have the season he had and become the number one overall draft pick. Um, I thought he would be remarkably good, maybe not quite that good, um, but it just it was obnoxious in the sense that we knew that Kyler Murray was really gifted. He came to Oklahoma for a reason. The only reason that he was not a star quarterback at OU before last season was because he because he sat in front of the best player in school history. And then this year we have Jalen Hurts coming in, who's a very accomplished player at the college level. The guy was the SEC Player of the Year in 2016. He's played in three national title games. The dude is going to be the starter. 
there's just there's no realm outside of outside of injury where that's not going to be the case. So I think I think next year if it's Tanner Mordecai versus Spencer Rattler, this line of uh, this line that Riley's feeding becomes much much more believable. But just sort of in these instances, especially these last two years, I understand what he's trying to do, but it comes off as just like I mean come on, man. Like everyone knows who the quarterback is. And I think it's just frustrating for us because we want more information on him and he's not going to give us more information until, you know, in internally they name a starting quarterback. All right. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's move on to, I asked you at the very beginning, what's the most interesting or useful piece of information that you've gathered in the last two days of big 12 football media days. And you kind of said nothing. So I'm going to turn that question around onto myself and I'm going to answer it. And I'll be honest, the most useful piece of information that I have learned this entire time was on Monday, and it was a question to Lincoln Riley from Eric Bailey of the Tulsa World, and Eric Bailey asked for a Jalen Redmond update, and positively, there was basically no update. Everything's still going fine, they're still being conservative, but there wasn't any, oh, he's had a setback, things are going badly, so basically no news is good news out of the Jalen Redmond front, and it's been about seven-ish weeks since the the last time Riley updated us. And then, of course, we had plenty of podcast episodes wherever I had a steadfast opinion on Redmond. And over about a month or five weeks, my opinion evolved and changed after I learned more and more from you listeners out there helping me out and helping us out. And so I thought that was the most useful thing, knowing that we're in mid-July and everything seems to be good for Jalen Redmond. And I feel I continue to feel more positive now about his outlook after, again, about seven-ish weeks ago, saying that I, I'm i not confident at all that he's going to be able to play again at Oklahoma, I think I'm going to be wrong, and I'm very happy about that, but still, fingers crossed. So you're uh, anything on Jalen Redman that you want to add? Yeah, I mean, other than I'm, I'm just really glad that no news is good news in this situation. Um, at the same time, I, I would have liked a little more information about you know how he's doing and and whatnot like in, in more specific terms but I can understand why he wouldn't wade into that territory um and really I mean we, we should just expect going forward we're not going to get much from Lincoln Riley on on any of this stuff and that's mm-hmm. you know that's that's just kind of his bit and that's and that's fine I've I've learned to accept it um but as a fan it's sometimes a little you know especially at this point of the year where we are just starved really for any sort of information and you know Lincoln Riley's got the goods man he knows everything that's going on in his program i just want him to spill some of it man i want i'm i want to be selfish i want to know exactly what's going on even though i understand that that's not really a thing um but yeah there's just you know after after yesterday and i'm i'm speaking about monday when ou is there we didn't learn anything about the team that we didn't already know and that's you know like I said, I'm starved for football. I That's by to, I, design. I, yeah, and that that was it's. I think it's so blatantly obvious, obviously by design. And you know, I've I've been saying this now since you know since the fall of 2017 that um, OU and this coaching staff, Lincoln Riley and the coaching staff, they they coach these kids on how to talk to the media as well because the the players don't ever say anything to the media either. So that's your it, theory. It's, it's my theory. Your opinion. And it's yeah. And, and a lot You're of not it, breaking news here. Are you not? No, I'm not breaking news. And a lot no, of I it. I just want to make sure. And, and a lot of this stuff is focused. They stick to talking points. I am. I am convinced that they are told what to say to the media. Well, that certainly was a. I don't know if I want to transition to Ellinger right now. Sam Ellinger. Do you how much interest do you think people listening to this podcast really have in 
in the Sam Ellinger thing because you mentioned there's a there's talking points and there was clearly talking points Tuesday as I record this and I you know talked to I didn't talk to him or I mean I was part of the the massive breakout interview surrounding Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman whenever he was asked both of them asked about the Terry Bradshaw stuff and the Baker Mayfield stuff of the past few weeks or so both of them used the same exact word to describe it so obviously that was their plan and that word is irrelevant it's such an obvious thing that I'm sure both Tom Herman and Sam Ellinger decided on okay we're gonna the message is gonna be that whatever those those guys said is irrelevant so that was a thing um and that's again, exactly yeah. that, that's exactly what I uh how I described you know what Baker Mayfield's attitude should have been towards it as well yeah yeah so so yeah not a whole lot I don't think on, on Ellinger because him and Tom Herman they didn't they didn't really break any news. They played it close to the vest. They didn't provide any bolts and board material and not a lot going on. And, and I know you didn't see a whole lot from Tuesday yet as we still record here. But um, honestly, there's as I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain of really anything from well, Tom Herman or Ellinger. And I, I can't really think of anything noteworthy. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You can tell me if it was different, you know, on the ground. But as I was following along online and social media and whatnot, Lee, it seemed to me that the biggest story by far today, coming for media days, was that the whole horns down fiasco and whether or not it's going to be a penalty. Um, that still that still is very much in the dark. There's not a whole lot of you know there weren't a whole lot of specifics added there. That that's that 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 was by far the biggest story from from media days on on social media today. Were they talking about that on the ground? Not really. No, I didn't okay. hear anybody talking about that. Granted, the announcement came very early in the morning from Greg Burks, the Big 12 coordinator of football officials, and he had a a presser availability. And I'll be quite honest with you, before I even got to AT&T Stadium, I wasn't even here yet because I, when it comes to Bob Bullsby, when it comes to officials, things like that, I just don't see any use in going to that stuff because – and I was the same way at SEC Media Days when I covered that. I didn't care what Greg Sankey had to say about the SEC. I, it, to borrow a term from – Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman uh the fact that that they're the conference commissioners to me is irrelevant all I care really about is the teams in the conference not necessarily the commissioner so anyways that kind of went along the lines of today on Tuesday with uh the rules committee but that's fair because that, that was a big thing at the end of last season and apparently I'm just looking at ESPN's article by Adam Rittenberg and you may have read this as well but it says ESPN according to ESPN it says uh the horns down sign this season the it says, do it quickly and don't direct it toward opposing players. Uh, and I'm going to try to find a quote from Burks, the coordinator of football officials. Basically, he's saying, quote, I shouldn't say basically, this is a quote. He says, like any play, there is a degree who it's directed at. If they do it in their bench area, we're not going to look at it. It would be like any other celebration foul. So it has to be like any other foul we have. Does it rise to the level we need to deal with that? It's a hot topic. And then he says more, but yeah, I mean, why not just this? Yeah, there's still it's now. I see. I'm kind of learning this as I haven't looked into this. Yet, whole, I'll okay. be honest with the, you. The whole this thing is, is really this is very stupid. informal. Very informal podcast. The whole thing it is seems incredibly like still stupid. Lots of gray area. Uh, yeah, tons of gray area. Of course, there's tons of gray. Gosh, area. come on. And they like they need. This is I, I this I am mystified why this is so hard for adults to figure out. Yeah, because that's a good point. I mean, they, do they not understand? They and like I. I'm not conspiracy theory guy. I'm not going to go there. But like they're they're obviously giving Texas preferential treatment here. 
<laughs> it's ridiculous because you know because you know Texas is going to be able to put the horns up as much as they want in front of whatever fans they want whenever they're whenever they're celebrating anything and nothing will happen to them. Yeah. And and they and should we went over- and they should be able to do that. So like don't like they absolutely should be able to do that. It just it just sh- it just goes to show how much of a farce it is. It's stupid. It's a complete it's a complete unforced error by the Big 12. It's dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and as I was saying a moment ago, there's still lots of gray area. I should have kept reading down to the the rest of the quote, and the rest of it, it goes, quote, I know people want us to be definitive on that, but it's like any touchdown celebration. Is it directed at an opponent or just celebration with your teammates? End quote. Well, I, know you, I know people want to be definitive, but we're not going to be definitive. We're going to keep it open to interpretation for I'm just some saying, reason. Like, it's like... Stuff like this is what brings out the like the crazy conspiracy theorists when you're not clear yeah. like this. And it's e- it's so easy. This is so easy. <laughs> like there's just it's for yeah. for for 100 years doing the horns down was no problem whatsoever and as soon as Texas as soon as Texas's quarterback and their head coach complain about it on like a Tuesday uh, a- after a after a Saturday game during their media availability, it's all of a sudden a big issue. This is this is not hard, and it's it's so dumb. It's I, I, I'm struggling to find words for it. It's it's that <laughs> it's that insanely moronic. Well, at least uh, the media people that I was around today, I didn't hear anybody bring it up. So if people were talking about it, perhaps it was early in the morning, and then once the afternoon session and everything hit, people kind of forgot about it or or thinking about other things. Like I would I I would be completely opening or open to hearing a good faith argument as to why horns down should be penalized. Like, can anyone come up with one? Like a logical good faith. Well, argument? You're not going to get one from me. Well, I know, but I, and that's you pointed out the logic, the logical part of it is that horns up or the hook'em sign, which is what's called is not going to be penalized. It's the same exact thing. Just the other way around. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a logical. I mean, yeah, there's, there's just, and like, I hate, I hate to go there, but there, there's very clearly a, a certain program in this instance that is getting preferential treatment. This is, that is inarguable at this, at this stage in time. All right, Grant. So we have a few things we want to get to before we get done today. Uh, again, kind of shooting, uh, shooting from the hip today because I'm just finishing up work uh, with News 9 in Arlington here on the ground, and we're kind of just getting this podcast out with our, with our thoughts Let's talk about the preseason Big 12 media poll. We didn't have a chance to go over that last week because we recorded before it came out. So by now, I'm sure you all know what the poll looked like. It went Oklahoma number one, Texas two, Iowa State three, TCU four, OSU five, Baylor, Tech, West Virginia, Kansas State, Kansas, the final five. And if you go from four to six, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, there's not a whole lot of points separating those three teams, so pretty even in the middle of the conference. Grant, I suppose you and I should go over what our picks were for the Big 12 preseason poll, and I'll let you begin. I'm assuming you had Oklahoma number one. Yeah, I did, obviously. All right, so let's just let's make this kind of quick, and then if there's any sort of things we got to add, we'll, we'll talk about it. So what's your top five look like? So you just want me to, to rail off the top five? Yeah, we already know Oklahoma's one, so might as well just go one through five. Okay, and I want to preface this by saying I think spots two through five in the conference are probably going to be really close, um, like in terms of standings when it all shakes out. Um, 
so here we go. So number one, obviously, is Oklahoma. Lee, two, I have Iowa State. Three is Texas. Four, Oklahoma State. And five, Baylor. Do you differ in any sort of way? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I have, I got OU Texas, one, two. Iowa State, three. I have Baylor at four, and I have Oklahoma State at five. So all the same teams, just in different order. So again, I got OU, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State. And Grant, say your top five again. OU, Iowa State, Texas, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. All right, so I suppose at this point, make the argument. Why is Iowa State two and not Texas for you? Well, so, and let me preface this by saying, I don't think this is, I, this is going to be close. Like, I mean, they, they could finish tied for second in the conference as well. Like, so this is going to be, I think this is, it's probably going to be a single game that decides who finishes second in the conference between these two teams. Um, Lee, I'm mostly going f- uh, with the idea that Texas, um, they do only return seven starters. That is, they have by far the least amount of returning production of any power five team in college football. Um, I'll give them you know, credit where it's due. They do have some experience coming up front, and they also have that transfer from Georgia Tech coming in, uh, who is an all-conference guy at Georgia Tech. But the more I sit on it, you know, I, I think them losing Lil Jordan Humphrey is a really, really big deal. Um, he was kind of the matchup nightmare piece that, that made their offense go a lot of the time last year. Um, so I'm, I'm a little... I, I'm, I'm kind of concerned as to what sort of safety blanket that that Sam Ellinger is going to have without little Jordan Humphrey, who I thought, who I said last year was perhaps the most terrifying player in the big 12, uh, because he was, uh, he was good in space, impossible to tackle, really good at bodying guys up. Um, he, he was frankly just unstoppable. Georgia couldn't even do anything about him. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't believe he didn't get drafted. That made no sense to me whatsoever. Um, and also Lee, they're, they're replacing virtually everybody in the front seven of their defense. Um, which, you know, I think there, there's, there are going to be some plug-and-play aspects to that. Um, but I don't know, Lee. I look at Texas's schedule, and they might have the toughest schedule in it's the Big 12. It's a difficult schedule. Yeah. And I, I just I think they have a lot of toss-up games. And, you know, for instance, um, obviously week two, they play LSU. I think they're favored in that game by Vegas. They shouldn't be. I think they should be underdogs in that game. Well, they're um, at home. I mean, I think they're probably what like a the yeah. typical three point home favorite. Yep. At this point, sure, sure. Maybe even maybe even two and a half. Mm-hmm. And then so, but I look at this and Lee, you know, four or three of the four teams that I think they're going to be sort of battling for in that second place spot in the conference, they have to go on the road in three of four of those games. And that's at TCU, at Iowa State, and at Baylor. And would it really surprise you if they lost two or three of those games? And this no, is, yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. certainly a solid argument. Yeah, and so and and also, you know, I Texas, I, I thought was a good team last year, although they were a fairly lucky team last year. Um, there, uh, I'd have to go back and look, and I I should have brought this up in front of me, but just think of all the games last year, Lee. They won by single digits. They beat Kansas by single digits. Kansas State by single digits. Baylor by single digits. Um, Oklahoma, the Tulsa, first, Tulsa by single digits. Exactly. Um, so this is Kansas this, State. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, this was this was not a team that was that really you know that really forced their will on teams that were lesser than them, and that's kind of the make that that's typically a making of a of a really good football team. So I think I think Texas is is on the right track, but when I look at sort of with recruiting and everything, and of course they bring back their quarterback, which is important. But when you look at 
at things going into the season that that maybe spells disaster or doom, it kind of looks to me like Texas's team last year that had a lot of seniors was was maybe one of their better teams that that they're going to have in the next two or three years because it was really experienced. And I just they don't bring a lot of experience back, and I don't I don't know where they're going to have any sort of explosion on offense. I don't know where that's going to come from. They don't have any explosive Another, players on the offensive side, and if they do, we don't know who they are yet. Well, I think Devin Duvernay is a somewhat explosive player, and Colin Johnson's not an explosive guy, but yeah, he's more of a possession jump ball player. Another player that they I heard about for you know a couple times today when Tom Herman was having his press conference uh, that is pretty. Uh, underrated outside of, I'm sure, the Texas program, the Texas fan base. But a big loss is uh, tied into Andrew Beck. He was a big part of their offense as well. And losing him, I mean, Tom Herman was saying a lot of really nice things about him today. And he was a guy that could kind of, I think he was kind of like a you know, tight end, H-back kind of player who could kind of do it all for him. So they got to find a replacement for that position. And, and Tom Herman says that he wants to be a team that really pounds the rock. They want to be a team that's like a, a, a hardcore running team. And that's kind of unique. Sounds good to me. That, You're not going to win the yeah, Big 12 doing that. That's what I'm saying. Like they, they haven't been able to run the ball very well outside of Sam Ellinger the last couple of seasons. I mean, they need to get some more production, obviously, out of their running backs for that to be, that to be the case. Um, for me, though, I have Texas, too. And the way I, I do it, I go through every single team in the Big 12, and I look at each game, just the schedule, and I – basically mark okay is this going to be a certain win is this going to be a certain loss or is this a game that's kind of an either an either or game a toss-up game and then I kind of go through every single team and whichever team has the most certain wins and the fewest certain losses and and you know more toss-up games that's kind of how I rate my teams and I came to the conclusion that Texas next to Oklahoma had or has seven certain victories and I suppose I should probably amend this and say six because based on my poll, Texas is going to lose to Oklahoma. So I'm going to amend this on the fly and say Texas has six certain victories, one certain loss, which I'm going to say Oklahoma because I have Oklahoma ahead of them, and five games that are kind of either or. Compare that to Iowa State, who I have at three. Iowa State, I had them at five for sure wins, one for sure loss, which I have at Oklahoma, which I guess I probably should amend and say maybe Texas now, and then six games that are kind of toss-ups. And so that's kind of how I came to it. And if you'd like, I'll, I can go through which ones I think, but I don't know, that might be kind of boring. You, think, you, you, would, you would think about maybe putting Texas in there as a first certain loss for Iowa State, and that game's in Ames. So this is, I mean, so one of, one of the things I was thinking so right, that's why that, I only had one. Uh, that's why I only had one initially, which was Iowa State losing to Oklahoma. Yeah. So Iowa State plays, plays five Five road games in conference this year. They kind of get the short end of the stick there, Lee. But four of the five of them are against teams that I think are going to be in the bottom half of the conference. West mm-hmm. Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas State. Uh, oh, I suppose Baylor, I think, is going to be in the top half. So three of the five. Um, and, and if you've listened to this podcast at all, I think West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas State, I don't think they're going to be particularly good teams this year. A mm-hmm. team that I think of Iowa State's pedigree, those should almost be certain wins for them. Um. So I mean that's what I and I think you know getting getting Texas at home in the middle of November is is going to be really significant for them. So and, yeah. and I, I think with Iowa State, I mean you, you're we're going to know a lot about Iowa State uh, September 14th when when Iowa comes to Ames. I mean that that's when we're going to I think find out the most about them. Yeah, because they just cannot beat Iowa for whatever reason. I mean they've had a better team than Iowa 
I think the last two seasons, and yet they keep losing to Iowa. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So I don't, um, I don't know what that what that is with that rivalry. What's going on? And also, yeah. So I and I think Iowa State um, has the pieces this year. They have the experience. Um, you know, I I think Iowa State might might field a top ten defense in the country this season, and I that can that can take. Uh, you. I mean, in the Big Twelve, I don't. That's nah, not going to happen. In term, well, not in terms of total defense. In terms of in terms of efficiencies and analytics. They most okay. certainly have have a chance to do that. All right. So that's the top five. Um, let's see. Is any other thing of note? I mean, we're talking about Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State. Uh, you had you had Baylor at five and OSU at four. Was that right? Baylor at five, and and Baylor is also another team that the schedule gods are smiling down on them pretty uh, pretty nicely. See who they. Their road games are at Kansas State, at Oklahoma State, at TCU, and at Kansas. Other than that, they play they play eight home games. Okay. And so did you have Oklahoma State at four, did I hear you right, or did you have somebody else? I had Oklahoma State at four, yeah. Okay. That's what but I thought. Yeah, I, I think I, but yeah, because I, I think I think if you compare rosters, I think Oklahoma State is better than Baylor. In fact, Oklahoma State, if they figure out if, if their quarterback plays well this season and you know, they're gonna be a really good team. They return pretty much everybody on offense and and a lot of their back seven so or a lot of their back uh a, a lot of their secondary at least so um you know i think oh, i think the top say, oh, uh, go, sorry go I, ahead. yeah no you're good i think the top half of the conference is going to be somewhat competitive i think the top half is is likely going to beat up on the bottom half quite a bit over the course of the season and Oklahoma State officially also still in a quarterback competition. Mike Gundy not naming a starter between Spencer Sanders and Drew Brown. And he said that if both of them play well and they still can't make a decision, uh, they're going to play two of them. So that's it's never a great sign whenever your team's playing two quarterbacks because that means that no one's good enough to separate. So the 6 through 10, just to have it on the record, I'll go first. Uh, I have Texas Tech at 6. I have TCU at 7, West Virginia 8, and then I finished up with K-State and Kansas, both Kansas schools, 9 and 10. Grant, who is your 6 through 10? I have TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, West Virginia, and Kansas. All right. and I mean, we're, it's kind of the same. I mean, you're a little – you have TCU one slot above. I just – I'm knocking TCU big time because I don't think Gary Patterson has good seasons whenever his quarterback plays bad. And unless – Alex Delton gets beaten out, which if he doesn't get beaten out, that'll tell you how, how much talent the other quarterback has. Uh, TCU's not going to be good at quarterback again in 2019. Therefore, that's why I have him a little far, uh, a little further down than, than that. And I think I think uh, Alan Bowman's a good player. I like Texas Tech's Alan Bowman. I think he's going to he's a good quarterback. So that's why I'm giving Tech the benefit of the doubt over TCU. Yeah, you know I think um, six TCU. That's kind of that's my dividing line. I think I think TCU is going to be the last bowl eligible team in the conference. Um, and I'm doing that for defense. They have the best secondary in the conference. Probably the two yeah. best, uh, the, 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 probably the, the best threesome of, of cover guys in the league, I would say, TCU has. Um, and in the Big 12, that's incredibly significant. I think that can, that can win them some games, of course. And yeah, I, I think they're, they're likely to be a complete dumpster fire on offense this season. Um, but they were last year, too, but they finished, they finished 17th in the country in defensive S&P. Um, I expect something similar from them this year. Uh, uh, just a, a dumpster fire on offense, uh, a solid to really good defense, and I think that'll be enough to win six or seven games. Texas Tech, I, you know, I just, 
I, I just I just don't. It's not a program that I have a ton of respect for. I just don't think they have a lot of good players. Um, they 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 bring back some experience on the offensive line, which of course is um, is a harbinger usually of success in college football. But when you don't have a lot of great players around it, I'm not sure how significant that is. And um, like I have I have not been scared at all of saying in this on this podcast. I don't think Alan Bowman's that great at all. I think he is. He's been very, very much overrated by people who follow the conference, and I think, okay. and I, I think it's unlikely that he performs as well for for Matt Wells as he did under Cliff Kingsbury. I uh, I suspect a lot of his success had a lot to do with Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, that's a solid theory. Although Matt Wells is a, is an offensive coach, so we will see if uh, how good of an offensive coach Matt Wells actually is, and I think we'll find out pretty quickly. So the last point I want to make about the media preseason football poll, uh, my top four, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor. Essentially to me, I think one through four, that's the four best quarterbacks in the Big 12, and that's a big reason why I had those two, uh, those four teams one through four. With Hurts, obviously Hurts and Lincoln Riley's system is going to be elevated. Then you got Ellinger, Brock Purdy, and then Charlie Brewer, I think, is the uh, fourth best quarterback. And then after that, in Oklahoma State, Spencer Sanders could be good. Drew Brown might be okay. Who knows? Again, I like Alan Bowman, but I think you make a good point about Cliff Kingsbury not being there anymore. So I just wanted to make a point of uh, my top four teams. That's I think is a, is the four best quarterbacks in the conference. And you know you have a really good quarterback. Normally you're gonna have some uh, some success. All right, Grant. Uh, any other thoughts on the preseason poll, or should we move on to our last topic, which will be the new SI top 100 players list? No, I think I got. I think I got all my thoughts out, Lee. All right, so finally, before we get out of here, it's something that I claimed a few weeks back I didn't think was going to happen. I thought Sports Illustrated was not going to release their top 100 list because I figured they were embarrassed of their list last summer. But, alas, they did come out with a top 100 list. And let's just say there's a lot more Sooners on the list this year than there were last year when Rodney Anderson was the only player from Oklahoma on the top 100 this year, I think, uh, man, off the top of my head, I think there's five, maybe six Sooners on the list, Grant. Do you know off the top of your head? Or yeah, there's five. Five. But yep. uh, nobody is ranked, I believe, in the top 25, I think. I think nobody's the ranked, highest. Uh, yeah. no, top 28. The highest is Hertz at number 28. So that's somewhat interesting, especially because we can go down through the top 20, 25 or whatever, top 27, and see – Granted, just to clarify, I mean, this is what Sports Illustrated does this, not necessarily on what's their, their uh, the way they rank them. It's they're, not like how good the players are, but like what they're going to be it's, or something. Yeah, they're, they're basically making a prediction for the college football season. Uh, they think this is where, like how important these players will be to their teams over the course of the season. So essentially they're, they're trying to predict who the top 100 players are going to be at the end of the year, essentially. Okay, and that's fair because that's how I select my preseason Big 12, you know, all-conference team is how I kind of think they're going to finish at the end of the year. So that's completely, completely fair for Sports Illustrated to do this. All right, where do you want to start? Should we go through all the Oklahoma players on the list or things that pop out at you as being egregious errors or things that you agree with? There where do you want to start? There aren't a ton of egregious errors in this one. Like, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that's that's pretty, you know, it's pretty defensible. We can start with the first OU player on this list, which surprises me. Um, I, I don't think he should be on here. I would I would replace him with someone else uh, on the Sooners. 
But Lee, at number 79 is Grant Calcaterra, which surprised me. Yeah, that surprised me too because he hasn't had really any eye-popping number seasons so far as far as his stats. Granted, he's a veteran returning player on what's been the best offense in college football. And maybe people remember that big touchdown catch he had in the Big 12 title game that basically won them the game. That's probably in Sports Illustrated's mind. So I'm sure that's part of why it went into into it. But, yeah, I certainly did not expect Grant Calvatera to be on this list. But um, obviously he's a really good player. But, again, just kind of surprised to see him on there. Didn't didn't think he would get that kind of attention. No, I didn't either. And um, I would probably, you know, um, I, I sp- I'm sure a lot of people have seen this list, but but Kennedy Brooks is not on this list, and he's someone I would put on there over Grant Calcaterra. Um, actually, I think the next person on this list is Trey Sermon. Uh, Correct. Who is he's at number 53. 53, and that's that would be a spot I, th- I would have thought is appropriate for Kennedy Brooks. And um, I, I would say Sermon being on this list in general is, I suppose it's arguable, but honestly, if I was making a list of 100 guys, I, I don't think Sermon would have been on my list. But Man, I agree with you too, and it's so, it's so weak for us to say that because Trey Sermon has been the model of consistency and awesomeness, really, for the last two seasons, yet he keeps getting overshadowed by the more flashy player. In 2017, it was Rodney Anderson. In 2018, it was Kennedy Brooks. So, you know, Trey Sermon's getting his due on this list at number 53. But, yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, Ken, I mean, we both had Kennedy Brooks on the preseason All-Big 12 team. Kennedy Brooks actually made the team. The media voted him. So, uh, Trey Sermon, though, on Sports Illustrated's list at number 53. And it come, it's probably more of just like a veteran thing. Yeah, I got to think Sermon, you know, he is uh, he is the, the career leader in rushing right now in the Big 12. I got to think he's probably pretty close to the career leader in the entire country, um, at least close to the top 10, I would guess. Even if he does only have, like, was it like 1,900 yards or something like that? that I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and also he's just a really good overall all-around player. The guy is maybe the most underrated part of his game is how good he is at picking up blitzes. Um, that's something that, that I noticed from him pretty much right away as a young guy so no I mean I, I'm, I'm not upset that he's on this list I, I just I, I would have put another OU running back on there so um, but also at the same time I'm, I'm glad that that Trey Sermon is getting a little pub here that's nice all right so that's two players the third player on the list at number 49 is linebacker Kenneth Murray so Murray gets preseason defensive big 12 player of the year and he gets top 50 status in SI's top 100 list and it's essentially the same reason why he was preseason Big 12 Player of the Year because of his stats. Sports Illustrated mentions he had 155 tackles in 2018, and they also cite his game against Army where he made 28 tackles. And last week we mentioned that that Army game, Kenneth Murray, that was one of his best games of the season. I think it was one of his top two games of the year as far as being graded out by Pro Football Focus. So at least they did cite one of his better games of the year. But uh, no need to rehash our Kenneth Murray thoughts. Uh, I mean, you know, the congrats for him to be on this list. But uh, you know, I hope all these lists are correct. I hope the Big Twelve preseason media poll is correct. I hope he's that good. It's just we uh, we're not buying it right now. Lee, the guy who's right below Murray on the list at number forty-eight is Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons. OU's defense would be so much better if Isaiah Simmons was their middle linebacker. <laughs> would be so much better. Yeah. 
And so I don't know. That just it just kind of goes to show what you know what uh, what what powerful numbers can do for the perception of of people around the country who don't you know watch watch as closely as we do. So um, I don't know. Where, where's the next one? I think is CD the next one on here? Maybe. Well, real quick before we get that, I just as I'm scrolling down, Sam Ellinger is at number forty-one. So Ellinger, no surprises on the list. Figured he'd actually be a little higher than that. Yeah, though. me too. I feel like that's actually a pretty fair spot to put him. To be honest with you. I mean, Jalen Waddle from Alabama, the wide receiver, is ahead of Sam Ellinger, who's I mean, he's a good player, but I mean, would you expect Jalen Waddle to be more of a impact player this year than Sam Ellinger? Oh, if no. we're talking about impact, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to find you know more impactful players than a quarterback like yeah. that. I think it's kind of, like it, this I is a difference. Have all the quarterbacks in the top ten? Yeah, this is yeah. If, if you're going to go yeah. by that, I mean, this is a difficult list. Uh, but no, I mean, geez, no. I think I think Jalen Waddle's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, he's really good. He's yeah. Really fast. All those Alabama receivers are just freaking fast. I think fast. I'm looking at this now, Lee. I think uh, I think Kenneth Murray is the highest-rated uh, Big Twelve defensive player on this list. In fact, he might be the only Big Twelve defensive player on this list. Oh wow, that'd be something. That would be something. That's the case. So, uh, anyhow, we'll have to double check that. Yeah, uh, CD Lamb is next. He's number thirty-three, and this is—I mean, this is too low. This would be one of the first ones where I'm saying this is this 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 is not correct. So this is the fun part where we go over all the other receivers that are ranked ahead of CD Lamb, and one of those receivers is Tylen Wallace at number twenty-seven. And we're huge fans of Tylen Wallace. The dude's really good, but at this stage, he's not better than CD Lamb. He just isn't. And. Uh, I think, you, of, I think you can make yeah. an argument for it just because he had he had a pretty dominant season last year. Um, True. So Threat I'm a finalist. It's yes. Lamb wasn't. Yeah. I'm willing to accept Tylen Wallace arguments. Um, arguments I'm not willing to accept at this at this point in time is is number twenty on this list. T Higgins, Clemson receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think he's good. T Higgins is really good. Um, I just I, I don't he's I don't even know if T Higgins is the best receiver on his team. Yeah, it's Justin Justin Ross probably, right? Yeah, Justin Ross who is number 35 on this list, which I think I think we're Justin Ross this is pretty, you know, pretty appropriate. So yeah, and then you get down to as we're going over receivers on this list that are ahead of CD Lamb and, and uh, this guy from Colorado, LaVisca Chenault, has just gotten so much pub and I just don't quite understand why. Uh he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but why is he getting you know more more pub than you know a CD Lamb who has been dominant for the first two years of his career. Um, I a lot of it probably has to do. I think people are still remembering just like the incredible. He had like the first five or six games of the year he had were like maybe like the first like were, were like the best like five or six game start to the season like ever. Yeah. And so I'm let me if I can find his number. I want to just find his like game by game numbers just because they they were like legitimately he's a big, absurd. Yeah, he's a big dude. He's got, you know, 6'2", you know, 220. He's both he and CD are both from Texas. No surprise, Texas with good receivers. So, sure. I mean, maybe it's also more of, you know, NFL prospect, obviously. Right. Yeah, I mean, guys, that could so. have it too. But here, let me go through his So, here's his first uh his first 5 games of this past season uh of last season. 11 catches for 211 and a touchdown. 10 catches for 177 and a touchdown. Uh, five catches for 67 yards and a touchdown in one half. 12 catches for 126 yards and a touchdown. 13 catches for 127 and two touchdowns. 
Um, and then after that, you can see he he kind of fell off, but he was still catching a lot of balls. So All right, well, okay. I mean, he's clearly very talented, and yeah, there's, I'm also very clearly pretty biased when it comes to seeing receivers ahead of CeeDee Lamb. There's <laughs> there's three receivers in the country that I will accept arguments for over CeeDee Lamb, and that is the aforementioned Chenault, uh, the aforementioned Tylen Wallace, and then, of course, Jerry Judy, who is who is pretty high on this list, and he should be. Jerry Judy is awesome. Number four on the list. So you're oh. not going to accept... Oh, Sorry, Rondale what? Moore is on here too, huh? Yeah, so I thought that you were I thought you were leading up to a Rondale Moore take cuz you kind of skipped over him and went to Jerry du- uh, Jerry Judy. I totally forgot that Rondale Moore was this high. God, the dude had 114 catches last year. Wow. All right, well. I guess yeah, I mean, which means which means he didn't he didn't really average a ton of yards per catch is, is what that means, but if I recall, Rondale Moore was literally Purdue's entire offense, so I don't know. I mean, different players, totally different players. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I don't have a whole lot of problems with this list because, one, I haven't sat down and really studied it. And it's a list. It's for fun. I mean, I feel like last year we had some big, big issues because there was so few Sooners on the list. I mean, they had two Texas receivers and zero uh, OU receivers, which was, which was dumb. Uh, I suppose my big my big uh, complaint with this list, Grant, and I think I, I think I put it on the West of Everest Facebook page. It's just a big eye roll for me. Just I cannot roll my eyes more seeing at number three Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor. Just I cannot roll my eyes enough because it's he's a running back. I mean, so what? I mean, it's it's a it's a position that you can replace people at, and he's fine. He's a good player, but. So what? It's a it's it's a not that important position in football, and yeah, yeah. That three. and and you know it's it's really and Wisconsin's hard. not going to be all that great. Yeah, so. I I you know it's really hard to argue against the production that Jonathan Taylor has put up, and he's a good player. Um, he's just he's just not a guy who scares you. I don't think he's he's ever going to be a guy like that. Um, he's just he's just kind of a plotter, and he does what he does. Lee, if there was if there was one running back in the country that I would want to poach, and I would be okay with taking, so you can take this, you know, my opinion, how it is, but that would be Eno Benjamin of of Arizona State. He's a guy who just who who catches a lot of balls. He's very shifty, and he's just more of like an explosive player. Um, that's the type of guy that I'm looking for. And um, I your uh, your thoughts on John on um. Jonathan Taylor, I, I sort of mirror those with with Travis Etienne, the Clemson running back, who's number seven on this list. Um, I think I said it a couple a couple weeks ago. Is and Travis Etienne has been really high on a lot of these lists, and he's been on preseason All America teams, which I understand. I think it's defensible, but is he that much better than Kennedy Brooks? I mean, no, no, he's not. Of course, and not. I I think a lot of it has got to be just his size. I think isn't he a pretty big bodied running back? He's big. Yeah, he's, he's big. Well, he's only listed at five ten. Really? I mean, it's so. just their. Let me go to the Clemson's officials. That that seems a little. Maybe he's just super stocky then. I mean, you know, he did. You know, he averaged eight yards a carry and had twenty four touchdowns last year. And so, I mean, that's. It's well, hard. Andy Brooks averaged uh, about nine yards per carry, yeah, but didn't have twenty four touchdowns. It's, it, he had to split is, time with Trey Sermon. It's hard to argue that stuff, and he is a guy who gets a lot of chunk yardage, which is which is obviously, you know, valuable, but. I don't know. He's he seems to me just like a straight line runner. He's a guy who has to be in between the tackles. Mm-hmm. Looking at his uh, 
And he had a good game against Alabama. He had you know 14 for 86 and two touchdowns. You know, good game against Notre Dame in the playoff, 14 for 109 and a touchdown. I mean, the average. I mean, he's averaging a lot of yards per carry. So I mean, against really good teams, he played well. So yeah, that's defensible. And I then guess. sure, and then just another another one. I'm kind of scratching my head at, and I mean, this is this doesn't really matter, but and I suppose this is how SI is is going to sort of justify it by saying this is their prediction. But Lee, they have their highest rated offensive lineman on this list is Oregon sophomore Panay Sewell. And Lee, he was a he was obviously a true freshman last year who only played in six games. Hmm. And he's he's their highest ranked offensive lineman on this list, four spots behind Georgia left tackle Andrew Thomas, who I have seen go number one in some mock drafts, NFL mock drafts. So that's just, isn't Georgia supposed to have a, an incredible offensive line this season? Uh, yeah, they return everybody, and yeah, they're pretty talented. So I know we had a we had a listener, a Georgia fan, who was who was who was uh, maybe not arguing that, but was was uh, was kind of putting that up for consideration at the end of last year, and that might be one that I I at the end he may be right about that one. I wonder. I, I doubt he's listening, but if he is. Um, <laughs> At the end of the day, he might be uh, he might be right about that one. Although, although I think it's you know last year's OU offensive line is is going to end up having all five of them drafted. So I guess we'll see where where everyone is drafted. <sighs> all right, I don't have any more thoughts on this top 100 list. And as I look around here in the end zone at Jerry's World, people are starting to pack up, and I'm starting. I feel like I'm getting the call to to get the heck out of here. Well. If it's that time, it's that time. But man, Which pretty I think works because I don't think we have anything else really to talk nah, about. Nah, pretty disappointing though that uh, that media days didn't really didn't really create any controversies or or lead to more to talk about. But but that's okay. We are what is it? Are we two weeks away now from from fall camp opening? Or is it two and a half weeks? It always seems. Like, I'd say about two and a half. It, it's either going to be early or like very end of July. I haven't seen a date yet for it for Oklahoma. I want to say but. I bet the. I bet the players have to report two weeks from Friday. I bet I bet that's that's when they're when they have to report because I think that they usually good, yeah yeah and then they'll probably start practice that next Monday. I'm calling my shot. That's probably a pretty good call. I like that. I like that uh, prediction. So let's see next week. Yeah, we only have yeah we only have I think maybe about two more episodes until we'll have some fall camps have to talk about. Maybe three more episodes. My maths could be off, but. Uh, we're doing it. We're getting through. Um, thank you for listening this week. I know again it was a it was kind of shoot from the hip. Put a little more uh, thoughts behind things next week, Grant. Grant, at least Grant put some thought into the opening take. So good job by you on that one. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to figure out a way to end this thing. Any final thoughts? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> right. Just I ready for college football to start. I think uh, hopefully by this time next week it'll. A lot of the media days will be over, at least. I know the Big 12 and the SEC will be, so maybe that'll be a sign to some other kind of sports publications that it's time to, to, start, to start writing some hot takes and getting some stuff out there so we can, uh, geez, so guys like us can have something to talk about. All right, that is it for this week. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee from Big 12 Football Media Days in Arlington, and this is West of Everest.